From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. that you've joined us for another broadcast of Let the Bible Speak, featuring messages preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. Currently, Dr. Cairns is bringing a series of studies in the earthly life of the Lord Jesus Christ, messages that will give insights into the various aspects of our Lord's temporal ministry, from His teaching and miracles to His atoning death on the cross and His glorious resurrection. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns in just a few minutes. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of C.H. Spurgeon, found in his collection called Faith's Checkbook. Our devotional for today is entitled, Evening Brightens into Day. The text is found in Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 7. It shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. It is a surprise that it should be so. For all things threaten that at evening time it shall be dark. God is wont to work in a way so much above our fears and beyond our hopes that we are greatly amazed and are led to praise His sovereign grace. No, it shall not be with us as our hearts are prophesying. The dark will not deepen into midnight, but it will on a sudden brighten into day. Never let us despair. In the worst times, let us trust in the Lord, who turneth the darkness of the shadow of death into the morning. When the tale of bricks is doubled, Moses appears, and when tribulation abounds, it is nearest its end. This promise should assist our patience. The light may not fully come till our hopes are quite spent by waiting all day to no purpose. To the wicked... The sun goes down while it is yet day. To the righteous, the sun rises when it is almost night. May we not with patience wait for that heavenly light, which may be long in coming, but is sure to prove itself well worth waiting for. Come, my soul, take up thy parable and sing unto him who will bless thee in life and in death in a manner surpassing all that nature has ever seen when at its best. Yeah. 
At this season of the year, the thoughts of God's people turn with special emphasis to the miracle of the Incarnation, the incomprehensible truth of Emmanuel, God with us. To assist you in meditating upon the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world, we're happy to offer a unique publication called The Twelve Days of Christmas. Written by Roger Ellsworth, an experienced minister and writer, The Twelve Days of Christmas is a small paperback book containing 24 devotions, each including a short scripture reading, several paragraphs, and a concluding to think about section that draws lines of application from the text to modern day life. The book is intended to help the hearts and minds of believers to focus on the wonder of the Incarnation, as well as to encourage unbelievers to come in repentance and faith to Christ. Let the Bible Speak is pleased to make this inspirational booklet available free of charge to our listening audience. You may have a copy simply by contacting us by phone, email, or regular mail. You may call us at 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. You may email us at info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. Or you may simply write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. We encourage you to request your free copy of The Twelve Days of Christmas.
As Dr. Cairns continues this series of studies in the life and earthly ministry of Christ, he commences a message entitled, Christ and the Holy Family. In the text, Mark chapter 3, we find the Lord Jesus teaching the multitudes who gathered around him. At some point, his mother and his brethren came and wanted him to come out to them. Their motivation was to convince him to stop what he was doing, for they thought he was mad. These brethren were his brothers and sisters whom Mary had borne after Christ's birth. Although there is no biblical record of Christ's childhood, aside from the temple experience when he was twelve, one can only imagine what it must have been like for his siblings to grow up with one who never sinned. In essence, their plea for him to come out to them amounted to an attempt to impede his ministry. Jesus' response was to ignore them and to recognize his followers as his true family. Now Dr. Cairns introduces this message, Christ and the Holy Family. Continuing with the studies in the life of the Lord Jesus, we read this morning in Mark's Gospel, chapter 3. I've chosen this brief passage. We could have read the same incident in Matthew or Luke, but we're choosing Mark's record of it. Mark chapter 3, and we'll read verse 21, and then we'll take up the reading at verse 31 through to the end of the chapter. And when his friends or his kinsmen heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. Verse 31, There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. Amen. The Lord will add his own blessing to the reading of his own precious word for his name's sake. Much has been said and written about what has for centuries been called the Holy Family. That is, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, and in more Protestant circles, their other children. Indeed, the Roman Catholic Church has converted Joseph and Mary into saints, through whom we should bring our prayers to the Lord Jesus. Because, after all, they stand related to Christ in closer bonds of blood and holiness than anybody else, and therefore have a greater power to elicit his favor. At least, that's the theory. The reality, however, is very, very different. We have just read a very interesting narrative, one, as I've indicated, that's important enough to be carried in all three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
By this time, Joseph may have been dead. Uh, we're not quite sure of that. He doesn't figure in the story here by name, though Mary does. There's no mention of father, uh, which is a title that was given because of his legal relationship to the Lord Jesus. And we know certainly by the time of the cross that he was dead, so he may already have been dead by this time. What happens anyway, whether he was there or not, is very plain to be understood. The kinsmen of Christ, those who are called his brethren, in verse 31, along with Mary his mother, came to him. Now, it's understood that the word brethren is used in Scripture in a fairly wide sense. In the, to this day indeed, in the Middle East, uh, we, they do not look on family as the small nuclear family that we call family. They look on the more extended family as the real family. And brethren may well be uncles or cousins or whatever. And it's often said that these must have been the people who came to the Lord Jesus. I'm not very sure of that. I think they may have been amongst them, but I think that the words of the Lord Jesus when he spoke of, hey, these are the ones who are my brother and my sister, would tend to indicate that there were people here of a closer blood relationship. Because we don't subscribe to the Romish theory of the perpetual virginity of Mary and that she never had any other children after the Lord Jesus. That was an invention, uh, first of all, to promote Mariology and Mariolatry, and second, to promote the uh, popish notions of the superiority of celibacy and ministry over the marriage state. Don't want to get into those things, simply to state them, to say that there is no evidence in favor of the notion that uh, Mary had no other children after the Lord Jesus. So what we have here is Mary and some of the brothers and sisters and perhaps other relations of the Lord Jesus Christ setting out, having heard about his ministry, having heard about his messages, having heard about his words and his works, setting out to stop him. For some reason or other, they were greatly worried about what they saw and especially by what they heard. They knew that the religious leaders were indignant. In this connection, we read of the slander that we considered the last time we were considering the life of Christ, the, the slander of the Jewish leaders, that he was possessed of a devil that he cast out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. I don't think that that was the first time that such a slander had been made. I think the probability is that Mary and the rest of the family had heard such things and so moved with fear at the indignation of the Jewish leaders, they set out to find where the Lord Jesus was and what he was doing. Verse 21, we read, they went out or they set out. Verse 31, we read, they arrived. They came. So they set out, they arrived. And they called on him to come out to them. He was teaching. People were sitting, thronged all around him. They couldn't get near, so they called on him to come out to them. 
Mary was saying to her son, come out. Brethren and sisters were saying, come out. And he ignored them. He utterly ignored them. Then those around about him drew his attention again to their presence, and they said, verse 32, Behold thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. His only reply was, Who is my mother? Who are my brethren? Then turning to the people around him, he said, Those who do the will of God, they're my holy family. Here we have the Lord Jesus on the one hand repudiating, at least in a measure, And I have to add that because I will say a little more about it later, hopefully. Repudiating one family and recognizing another family. So I want us to think today very simply about Christ and the Holy Family. The first thing that stands out is that his earthly family was not the true holy family. Now, in Scripture, we're not told very much about the home life of Joseph and Mary. Most of what has been said and written about the early days of the Lord Jesus Christ and his life in the home in Nazareth is pure invention. In fact, all of it is pure invention. For the Scripture does not tell us about it. It is wise and it is good for God to draw a veil over that. There was in those days developing a miraculous and mysterious thing. I can tell you about it, but I can't explain it. That babe that was born of Mary was as much God incarnate as the Christ who walked in the water. He was God and man in two distinct natures in one perfect person forever. But yet, at that stage, he was a baby, not a man. And as I've said before in dealing with the incarnation and rebutting the crazy stories of uh, superstitious people who have written about all sorts of great miracles done and feats and prodigies of power done by this baby, this baby was not a monster. He was a baby. But he was still God incarnate. That Scripture tells us through Luke that he grew, not only physically, but intellectually. He grew in wisdom. He grew in knowledge. Uh, We certainly know from his later life that those were days when he came to have a, as a man, a comprehensive knowledge of the written Word of God. He grew in fellowship and in experience of his God in the place of prayer. He grew in favor with men. 
He was sinless. He was spotless. He was pure. Now, what does it mean for God to be in union with a baby, a child growing into manhood? What does it mean? What does it mean for that one to live in an ordinary home and a poor home at that in circumstances of considerable difficulty for Nazareth then and for many years was known as a place that uh, upper-class people looked down upon? What does it mean for him to live a sinless life there? What does it mean for him as the man, as the child, to be coming into that full knowledge, consciousness, and experience of fully his personant mission? And I have to tell you, I don't know, and neither does anybody else. It is in goodness that God draws a veil over that. We do know that at 12 years of age, he he knew he had to be about his father's business. We do know that. We do know that at 12 years of age, he went up to the temple. I've told you before, and I was fascinated when uh, this was drawn to our attention. A very learned Jewish guide pointed out to us that uh, Jewish boys then went up to the temple first at 13. They went up at 12 if they had lost or had no father. And he said, of course, this is evidence that Joseph, I said, you need to read again because Joseph and Mary were looking for him. Just one of those little unspoken but so eloquent facts of life that Joseph was not the father of Jesus. Jesus went up to the temple at 12, fully cognizant at that time that he must be about his father's business. But even then the veil is redrawn, and that family life as it developed is something that is hidden from us, that there were other children I think we can be assured from Matthew chapter 1, Joseph knew not Mary until she had brought forth Jesus. And from this passage here, and from the statement in John chapter 7, that his brethren even didn't believe in him, and from the description of James as the brother of Jesus, I know that that is a term that can be used more expansively, but the reality is, for example, when John Mark is being set down as the relative of Barnabas, you can see that the Scripture has the words to give that relationship very particularly. didn't say just he was one of the brethren. He was able to give it particularly. And I think when we have the brother of Jesus, then we can say there were other children born into that home and the family developed. Other than that, we don't know much except that the Lord Jesus lived there, subjected himself to the will of Joseph and of Mary, and lived sinlessly, 
growing in wisdom and favor with God and men until his public ministry commenced. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, Founded by Dr. Alan Cairns, Let the Bible Speak is also heard in many parts of the world through the international radio outreach of Let the Bible Speak, produced in Northern Ireland. The Free Presbyterian Church stands without apology for the absolute inerrancy of the Bible, emphasizing preaching that centers on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and is militant in its stand against the ecumenical apostasy and the efforts of the world to infiltrate the Church. For further information about the Free Presbyterian Church, you may email info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. You may call us at 864-244-2408. Or you may write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Again, that's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Also, we encourage you to visit the website of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America at www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelsch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we Let the Bible Speak. (music) 